Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings podcast, episode number 37. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me, as always, every week is my co-host, the Pondit... Mitchell Davis, what's up? What's up? And uh, what, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's Indian for master. Oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm trying that. to I'm trying to come up with stuff that uh, has something to do with what we're going to talk about. This yeah. Week. Yep. I see. I see. Yep. <laughs> so this week you are Pandit Mitchell Davis. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, go look that up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> What's good up, to man? Talk to you, man. How much? Uh, you doing okay? Yeah, yeah, doing good. Um, it was uh, fun going over this stuff this week. Uh, we've got some some fun stuff to talk about for sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And uh, yeah, we're gonna continue where we left off, kind of last week with uh, Ray Charles, and uh, we're gonna move on to another French opera. It's weird that. Uh, Last week we had one French opera second on the show, and this week we have another French opera second mm. on the show. Yeah. Um, then we're going to move on to Indian uh, flute virtuoso Hari Prasad Charasia. Charasia. Yep. Very then, cool uh, discovery. Oh yeah, yeah, very cool. Uh, then uh, something completely different from that: uh, electronic artist, the Chemical Brothers. And then we're going to finish off with uh, Zydeco Pioneer, the king of Zydeco, Clifton Chenier. Yeah, and it shows, man. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that he died so long ago. But anyway, we'll we'll get into that. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to start off with Ray Charles and his really kind of monumental and, and revolutionary an unexpected album, Modern Sounds and Country and Western Music, Volumes 1 and 2, from uh, 1962. And uh, this was a landmark album for a lot of different reasons. Uh, it was, like I said, completely unexpected at the time. Ray Charles had it was really at the height of his popularity at the time. Uh, he had recorded R&B albums and uh, jazz you know, basically jazz albums and big band albums and pop albums. And uh, I think this would have been at the time, the last thing that everybody would have expected him to do. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Um, Somebody, um, I'm trying to remember who, who laid this quote out, but it uh, it may have been Tom Waits. who was saying it's, it was like the confidence of a genius where, Ray Charles was already uh, pretty, you know, self-assured in what he was doing. And uh, I think this was just an extension of who he was. I mean, he was just one of those guys that grew up listening to, to listening to a variety of musics. And um, country and Western was just one of them. And it was something that he, he loved and he knew that he could do. So why not? Even though, you know, a lot of people thought, Ray, this is crazy. Um, you're going to alienate quite a few fans and make a 
a bunch of other people really angry where it's like, who is this guy, you know, making, you know, country music? He's got no business doing this. And he's like, well, you know, I'm going to have to do it anyway because this is what I want to do. This, right. If I have, you know, so-called artistic, you know, freedom, you know, with my record label, which apparently I guess he, the label he was with at the time, ABC Paramount, um, they really hadn't been together that long. So I guess maybe he was sort of, you know, testing his relationship with them too by saying, you know, how are they going to react to me, you know, putting out this record? You know, are they going right. to like, you know, we're ain't no way we, we're going to let you do this. But they did, obviously. And, you know, to everyone's surprise, well, you know, not everyone, I'm sure it wasn't probably a surprise to Ray. Uh, and those close to him, it was a, a massive success, you know? Yeah, and I think that's one thing that I, I kept reading too is that, you know, supposedly when he signed on um, with with ABC and uh, they had given him pretty much complete artistic control and that's one thing I read, yeah, that he was like, okay, let's test that. Let's see how much artistic control I really have. And uh, apparently he had it. I mean, apparently they you know i you know they made good on their uh uh contract uh with him they probably never expected that he was going to do something like this and at first i think they were probably like holy crap what's he doing you know yeah, yeah. um and i think you know it's a testament to him as an artist but it's also a testament to his will because when you want to do something creative like this and you have everybody saying what in the hell are you doing you know, you shouldn't do this. This is a bad idea. He wasn't just hearing this from his record label. He was hearing this from his peers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, he just said, you're all wrong. And he did it anyway. I mean, that is a an amazingly strong will. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just, just that alone um, command, you know, commands respect from any artist and and uh i you know i always look at that at artists that are strong enough to do stuff like that and i have a lot of respect for them um yeah but anyway um let's get on to the first track i can't stop loving you um one thing i thought was interesting you know and we read stories like this all the time uh, if you go through recording history and, and, and read books like, you know, Tom Moon's 1000 Recordings Here Before You Die and all this stuff. Uh, this track was placed at number 11 in the track listing on the record uh, by the album's producer, Sid Feller, because he thought it was the weakest track on the album. <laughs> and it became the album's number one top selling single. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but what did you think of this one? Yeah, just a a great version of of the original, which which probably eventually you know was more popular than than the original in a lot of ways. Where um, Ray kind of put his stamp on it, and and it, it's it's fun to just see, like you said, where people who who really had no vision for what Ray was trying to do and were involved with this still kind of gave Ray the the creative freedom to do what he wanted, even though it's like, you know, and I mean, in the irony being that Ray is, is literally blind, you know, he could see a lot of things that people with sight couldn't see at all, you know, 
Yeah. I mean, things that were just like very plain to him were were just like not obvious at all to people who didn't have Ray's gift. And I mean, I really think the guy was, I mean, he was a genius. I mean, in, in the truest sense of the word where, you know, he could take music like, like country music and, and put what he felt, you know, were, you know, his sort of artistic leanings towards, you know, soul and jazz and, and gospel and make all that kind of lay together, you know, because that's just what he, you know, what he was about. And I mean, this the, another thing to think about. This is a very, a very volatile period. It's like 1962, where you know, there's a lot, there's lots of racial tension. You know, people are, are, you know, struggling for you know a varieties of, you know, freedoms and 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 personal privilege and. You know, it was a it was a tough period to do something like this. I yeah. imagine where you know Ray probably got you know. I mean, you you think why would somebody get death threats for making a record? I'm sure Ray got death threats. You I'm know, sure lots right. of them. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Where it's like you know, what do you think you're doing? You know, there's no way because I mean, you you think about someone like like this song. I think the original version was was Don Gibson's where people had had a certain mindset of how they wanted that song to sound. And then Ray comes along and does it, and then does it maybe even better than Don's version. That probably didn't sit real cool with some people, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it, it was good because, I mean, the people who wrote that song originally, I mean, it gives that other song a whole new perspective in life, you know, that it maybe didn't have before. And, I mean, in a way that's, that's good all over, you know, because because everybody benefits. So, I mean, when you look at it, you know, history perspective wise, I guess. Yeah, but, right, uh, right. You know, just just a lot of a lot of interesting things going on. You know, like I said, because of that period and how things were at the time, and 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 just Ray being bold enough to like say, "Hey, I I, I really have to just be myself." And if people don't understand it, especially at first, you know. That that's that's all right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one thing, uh, interesting thing I read was that this song was in the country politan style. Have you ever heard that term, country no. politan? I'd never heard it either, and I was like, country politan. What in the hell? I guess it's like a playoff of cosmopolitan. Yeah, and basically, it's it's basically this this sound that was developed in Nashville that sort of merged country and pop music at the time yeah. to make it more mainstream yeah more like a more genteel style of country where it's it's on the song because when i hear this song i think of like 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 waltzing it's 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 yeah it's yeah, delicate yeah. country it's it's not like kind of what you would consider i guess hard or backwoods Right, right, yeah. right, I, right. I get that, yeah. And it's interesting because this is like the beginning of this movement in Nashville that eventually led to the lineage of what is now modern country. Yeah. Uh, you know, country pop and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I thought it, another kind of interesting thing was that uh, a reporter asked Chet Atkins, you know, what was the sound of country politan? And that Chet Atkins would put his hand on his pocket and jiggle his change, loose change, and he said, "It sounds like money." Ah, uh, that's good. I like that. 
um, yeah. So uh, I'm sorry, you were about to say something. No, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's just listen to it. Cool. Um, this is uh, "I Can't Stop Loving You" by Ray Charles. I've made up my mind to live in memory of the lonesome time. I can't stop wanting you. It's useless to say. So I'll just live my life in dreams of yesterday. Those happy hours that we once knew, though long ago. It still make me blue They say that time Heals a broken heart But time has to steal Since we've been apart And we just heard I Can't Stop Loving You by Ray Charles, and we're going to move on to You Don't Know Me. Um, one thing, I, I don't know, this is just like an offhanded comment, but uh, Ray's voice is just so unique, you know, and and, and yes. nobody ever sounds, will ever sound like him. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, I made this sort of comment when we were talking about Anita Baker that, I could just sit there and listen to a tour singing the phone book and I'd be okay, you know? <laughs> and he's one of those voices where he could just sing through the phone book. It would sound amazing. Yeah. Um, and he, he can take these songs and just elevate them to another level. And, you know, one thing that stands out is his voice is like timeless. It is. But the chorus is so dated sounding. And like when I hear it with like my... 2013 ears it, it really sounds like i mean i mean to my ears uh really jarring when you hear ray singing and then you hear this chorus come in it did sound so dated but ray's voice doesn't sound dated at all it just i yeah. don't know it creates this weird um thing like like i don't know i almost wish this chorus just wasn't there but, um, <laughs> he, he brings he brings life to things that maybe originally seemed lifeless. Um, I I think we were talking a little while back when when they did the whole USA for Africa thing, the, the We Are the World song. And and at the end of that song, Ray basically sings the, the chorus of that song till that song fades. 
And really, there was nobody else that could have ended that song like him. And I that dawned on me maybe like 10 years after that song came out where I was listening to it one day because the, the words of that song are really kind of corny, even though what they were doing was was really noble you know, and trying to raise money for basically starving people in, in, in areas of Africa. But but Ray brings up, he brings a life to that song, especially at the end of that song, where he brings it home. And I mean, there was nobody else that could have done that like him. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I truly believe that. I mean, I think that's why why Quincy, Quincy Jones, who, who arranged and produced that song, why he put Ray at the end, because, I mean, he just kills that song. I mean, he... He makes it work to where I mean the rest of it was was good, but the end of it it's like he he like closes the deal so to speak you know right and, and it, I, it's, I totally agree with you. Well, it's interesting you bring that up again because it's another example of dated versus timeless. Because I don't know if you remember, do you remember who who opens "We Are the World"? Who the first singer is? I want to say it's Kenny Rogers. No, nope. I remember right. Is it or who was it? It's Boy George. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so, yeah. Again, we have this like dichotomy. You know, this boy Wait George. A minute, was he? Was he even? Was Was he even in that? Are we, are we talking about the same song? Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know Boy George was even involved in that. Yeah. Because okay, because you got Band Aid, like the British version of uh-huh. of that effort, and then USA for Africa, which is like, you know, it's pretty much all people from the states. I thought. Uh, but uh, maybe I mean maybe I'm wrong. Either way, um, that song, yeah, like you said, I mean it. It needed a lot of help. I mean, it wasn't well, yeah. a bad song, but in in that, I mean, that part of it sounds again uh, to our ears now in 2013 sounds so dated. Yeah, you yeah, know, exactly. and then but again, once again, when when Ray's voice comes in, it just all of a sudden becomes timeless. Exactly, you know? and, that, and that's and that's um, the main thing that I I mean my focus is he he has a, a genuine quality in his voice that it it, it brings out a, such a great feeling in people you know just the simple sound of his voice he he had one of those timeless voices that could go through different generations different styles of music. And just tearing out all sorts of barriers that have been there before, and, and I mean that's a that's a huge thing. I mean, to to have people come behind him and say, you know what, I I can do this too. I mean, I can sing, you know, soul, country, gospel, whatever. If if I've got confidence enough and love for the music and and love what I'm doing, and that's what yeah. I, I see in Ray. It's just he. He was confident, and he just had love for what he was doing, you know. Yeah, and I have to, I have to point. I have to go back, and you know what? I'm wrong about Boy George. I don't know why I thought that. I'm no, wrong about okay. Boy George. Uh, it, it, it opens with uh, the first singer is Lionel Richie. Oh, okay. There you go. And see, Lionel Richie and Kenny Rogers. The, re- the reason I say that is because they <clears throat> they do each other's songs. I think you know the yeah. lady. Well, and, I think you were right about Kenny Rogers. I mean, he he is towards the beginning of that song i'm looking at a list of uh the soloist in, in the order of appearance yeah of that song and and then i'm looking at a list of who was in the chorus this is hilarious i didn't know like dan Aykroyd was in the chorus yeah yeah, yeah. and and like all the jacksons 
Yeah. And Waylon yeah. Jennings and yeah. uh Kim Carnes, all the Pointer Sisters. Um yeah. Yeah. Bonnie Raitt, I think, is there. This and this is before Nick of Time, before Bonnie Raitt really kind of broke away from, from Warner Brothers and and got with the Waz brothers and and had her sort of revitalization. Uh who I I mean, on the side, I know we're we're talking about Ray Charles. I love Bonnie Raitt. She's she's amazing. Just um American Treasure, all that kind of stuff. I, she's she's got so many great songs. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, there, there's a ton of people that uh, I think Bette Midler. Um, yeah, lots of people that were all in that, uh, and and almost almost nobody who's not from the United States. That's what made me think about Boy George. Is that the the opposite version or the the overseas version, the Band Aid song that came before this? that they did for sort of African relief. The only person that I think is involved in that, that's not like, like from Europe or, or other countries other than America, I think was Jody Watley. I mean, she was born here in the United States, but was like sort of like a transplant where she was in London at the time. And I think she's like the only person that, that was an American that, that was a part of that Band-Aid project. Everybody else was all pretty much in the UK. Yeah. That's what, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Dude, yeah, man. How, did we, how did we get on We Are the World? Okay. Because uh, we are music nerds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, so anyway, man, back to You Don't Know Me. Um, this is, uh, you know, like a, a slower song, a really one of those kind of country songs that it's about unrequited love and it's all about... Um, how you know a guy is in love with a girl and they're just friends and she she has she's like oblivious to how he feels and and uh she's you know the whole thing is about you don't you don't you don't really know who i am because i want to be with you and blah 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 and at the end that they're not and it's it's you know yeah one of those it's a torch bearing song where you you're carrying a torch and it's burning bright and they have no clue <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Just, you know, that's, that's I mean that that kind of stuff cuts across all sorts of you know cultural racial whatever kind of lines and and that's <clears throat> that's a good thing about what this album does you know and and Ray even said himself I mean you you pretty much have the same thing a lot of times when you have country or or blues or soul music I mean it, a lot of it is it's really the same thing yeah you know? And the way down. he said it is funny, and I, I think you you know this just the way he said it would elicit a lot of uh, debate and may, probably heated response from from many different circles. He said, "You take black music, and you take country music, and you have the same goddamn thing." Yeah, that's a great quote. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds just like Ray too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, let's check this out. This uh, last track from Ray Charles, "You Don't Know Me." You know me well, but you don't know me. 
You Don't Know Me by Ray Charles. And we're going to move on to uh, something something completely different. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Mark Antoine Charpentier, his opera, Medier. Uh, this uh, recording is uh, Lorraine Hunt, who plays the, the title role. Uh, Les Arts Florissants, that's the ensemble, uh, conducted by William Christie, released in 1995. And uh, I thought that Tom Moon's header for this, you know, article in the book was just perfect. Basically, he just said, crazy lady wants revenge. Uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, just just a lady in itself wanting revenge is enough. But this lady is crazy and she wants revenge. So, yeah, you somebody's in trouble. A lot of somebody's are in trouble. <laughs> You know. Dude, everybody but her is, yeah. in, is in serious trouble. Um, so I thought I would just basically briefly go through the synopsis as I have with uh, other operas so we can sort of see, you know, because I mean, when we, when we talk about opera, it's just different than talking about most other albums because we're talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about a story here. We're talking about almost like a play. Um, yeah. And, you know, that story is just as important to the music as the music itself. Um, it's what's driving the music, you know. So the whole purpose of the music is to tell the story. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, this is, uh, you know, in five acts, this opera is in five acts. It was uh, written in uh, 1693 uh, and premiered in Paris on December 4th, 1693. And... Uh, so it's based on this, uh, you know, old Greek myth stuff, which was the subject of so many operas um, back then. And uh, basically, if I can, you know, be as succinct as I possibly can, uh, Medea was ma- married to Jason, the same Jason as, you know, the, the Argonauts and the Golden mm-hmm. Fleece and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> She had committed some crimes where they lived in uh, Thessaly, and so they were they were fleeing uh, to Corinth because the ruler of Corinth, uh, Creon, 
is told them that he was going to give them refuge in Corinth, right? Uh, so Jason tells his wife, Medier, that uh, he needs to get in with the king's daughter to cement their protection. So this is like, you know, hey, wife, uh, I'm going to get with this chick. Uh, you know, we, we need, you know, her dad's, you know, you know, protection you're cool with that right you know but, yeah and, and 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 on top of that i think you should give her this this beautiful robe as a present from you you know yeah um <laughs> so so, so I, I, I would be like you know what why did we leave where we were i mean yeah it seems yeah. like we're going somewhere where things are about to get much worse yeah if not the same <laughs> yeah so, yeah know? so this is where the craziness begins right uh, she starts to, you know, this is where her, she starts to get pissed, right? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, after this happens and uh, his wife leaves to go somewhere or whatever, Jason confides in the daughter, Creus, that he's really into her and, you know, kind of wants to leave, you know, his old wife, right? Yeah. Um, so in the beginning, the, the daughter was, due to be married to this other king, Orante, or a prince, other prince uh, of Argos. And now she wants to marry Jason. King Creon wants her to marry Jason. And so Jason leads an army against Orante's army and defeats them, right? Mm-hmm. Because you had to defeat the other dude's army to, uh, you know, to be worthy of marrying, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. So in Act <laughs> 2, um, uh, the king, Creon, tells... Medier that uh, uh, basically he makes a deal there. He was like, look, I won't hand you over to your enemies if you leave town <laughs> and leave your husband and children here. Um, hi. Hello. That's uh, the first call. <laughs> that's the first call. Exactly. My call, my call is coming in a few in a few seconds, I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm, I apologize to the listener and I can't really the, the phone is too far away for me to shut it off. Oh, so uh, yeah. My, and, and you, you should see. Oh, man. I, I might, my phone might as well be outside. It's so far away. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, basically, you know, the king tells her to, to leave. Then Jason himself says, yep, um, you got to leave. Me and the kids are going to stay here. You know, bye. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and then you know the daughter confesses her love to Jason and all this stuff and then they make her they make Medea hand over her children to yeah. Preus I mean it's just like insult upon insult right pretty, pretty much yeah I mean the the thing about about Jason's character is that it, it, it's 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 crazy in a sense to where you know that that people do I mean even now do stupid stuff like this where it's just like you know what are, what are you doing you know what you know it's like people why do people want what they know they shouldn't have you know why do right. people do what they know they shouldn't do right you know right, right. and it's just a, a life testament to where you know it's it's it seems like it's never enough you know where some people have to make a complete disaster even though this is an opera which you know this is how opera rolls but you know c- people just make a complete disaster 
of their lives, you know, when they really don't have to. So, right. Well, and that was the subject of a lot of these old Greek plays. You know, they were all about uh, like morality plays. Like basically, if you do the wrong thing, you're going to die in a fire. I mean, that's basically yeah. what they all are. You know? yeah. um, so then act three rolls around and this is where all the scheming begins. So the original dude that was supposed to marry this princess, Arante, uh, starts scheming with Medie and says, you know, if you can foil this marriage and arrange it to where, you know, I marry Creus, then I'll give you safe haven in my kingdom. And uh, basically, you know, it, this act is like, you know, Jason trying to explain to Midia that he's only acting in the best interests of, you know, their safety and the children and all this stuff. And, <laughs> uh, so anyway... Medie basically what they don't realize I guess is that she's this badass witch or something mm-hmm. and so at the end of this act she uses her witchcraft to summon demons from the underworld who bring a poisoned robe that she's going to give Crayuse, right mm. um, so then act four rolls around uh, and Jason you know they're looking at the new robe and oh wow that's a great robe you know and um, uh, crayon basically the the king crayon uh crayon it sounds like i'm saying like you know like crayola like, like the crayola thing yeah crayon <laughs> crayon yeah i can't say his name any other way so it's just a crayon um is uh, basically he's pissed that he's like at media he's like what are you still doing here i told you to leave um and he basically orders his guards you know seize haw and uh, she uses her magic again, conjures up uh, basically a bunch of beautiful women that seduce all the guards away. And then she mm. uses her magic to drive the king insane. So this is another, you know, you just don't, you don't F with, with her, obviously. Apparently not. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, at the very uh, last act, you know, she, her revenge like isn't enough right that she's like killed the king and she's gonna like poison Crayus and all this stuff with this robe she says well my my revenge on my husband isn't enough now I ha- I'm gonna murder all of our children yeah so she- yeah so she she <laughs> she murders all her children by Jason um, the daughter sort of like begs her to bear them and all this stuff and as she does so uh Midier, like touches her robe and her robe bursts into flame and she mm-hmm. basically you know like i said dies in a fire and in jason's arms and jason so jason's like had everything taken away from him at this point um but he he, he doesn't know about the kids at this point so in order just to bring everything home for jason at the very end she appears in a flying chariot pulled by dragons just to tell Jason, hey, by the way, I killed all our kids. Bye. I, Woo! I, I, and that's I, the I end. Really, I really <laughs> wish that's just one thing. I just have to see what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, how do they pull that? I mean, because obviously it's it's an opera, you know, depending on. I mean, especially back then. I mean, it's, you know, the era, the era of what, you know, French kings. and I mean, what did that look like when they did that? Right. <laughs> and know? there's a few things that don't make sense. Like if, you know. If she's a powerful enough to fly away on a chariot pulled by dragons, why the hell did she need anyone's protection in the first place? But um, 
Well, I guess this was before That's just she decided to opt for the, the, the whole witchcraft. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. so. Yeah. You know, I mean, she, she's she, basically like a Sith. I mean, she's she's like a Sith, basically, yeah. you know, that they, you, they, that you screwed they made, with. And, you made me do this. That's what she's basically telling right, them when she flies off. Right. This is this is all. And really, she's right. <laughs> right. You know, right. You, 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 you drove me to this insanity, which, you know. Right. And that's the whole morality of the thing. You know, it's like. You do this stuff, you do the wrong thing, you're going to end up, you know, with your life uh, in ashes, watching your ex-wife fly off in a chariot pulled by dragons. So, there you go. There you go. Let that be a lesson to all of you out there listening. (laughs) Um, So, we're going to listen to uh, the opening of Act 1. And, you know, I went to Google Translator and I tried to translate these titles and I couldn't really make sense of them. Um, uh, my, What I think of these titles is they're just the beginning of uh, the text, you know? So I'm, what I'm getting is not a complete sentence, basically. But uh, this uh, first one that we're going to listen to is uh, Crayon, Jason, and Orante all singing this sort of uh, male, uh, you know, sort of three-part harmony with the chorus. And, and it's the very beginning of the play where uh, Jason shows up. Jason and Madea shows up to the court and they're discussing, you know... Their trials. <laughs> their, well, they're, yeah, they're discussing their trials, but they're also the, the men, you know, the king, Jason and Crayon are all discussing, um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to marry the daughter no, I'm going to marry the daughter. And the king's like, well, I want him to marry the daughter. And he's like, well, okay, then I'm going to bring my army in here. And Jason's like, well, okay, then I'm going to bring my army in here. And, you know, it's just kind of like this sort of back and forth. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't know. What, what did you think of this track? Um, it, it's, you know, like you said, I mean, from the beginning, of it, it's it's a mess. I mean, you know, you, you hear the, you know, vocal parts mixing and, and them going back and forth, and um, you know, it, it's it's just drama from the very beginning. I mean, that's that's the feel I get from from what is going on here, um, and um, the 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 music obviously is is a, is a strong part of this. But I, you know, I, I think the thing with with an opera for me. Is, is gonna have to be the visual laid with it as well, you know, where yeah. you kind of see what's going on. And you kind of, you know, mentioned that earlier. So, um, you know, I, I I think it's uh it's it's interesting to to have it start off with, you know, the you know, the involved parties, you know, and how they lay everything out. But um it, it's it's a it's a crazy, crazy crazy story i mean obviously where they you know like you said they they lay out all the different you know you know human elements that are you know negative positive and and whatever and um you know it's it's it would be interesting to see them actually you know perform this and uh i'm not saying i'm going to an opera but you know if this is one of the ones that you know, happen to be a choice. I would, I would love to see them perform this, right? You know, right, so right, to speak. Right. So, yeah, um, yeah. Opera is weird because, on one level, you know, we can all relate to the story and everything that happens in the story and the story's uh, 
message and all that kind of stuff. But then on another level, because it was composed in you know the late 17th century in France and it's in French, that aspect of it we can't relate to. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't know. It just it, it it takes a little bit of investigation and knowledge to get through that stuff we can't relate to to the stuff we can relate to. If that makes sense. Um, anyway, let's check this out. This uh, track from Act One. And I'm going to try to pronounce it here and probably fail miserably. Uh, K de Pai Battalion sur nos reves descendant. <laughs> And that was from Act 1. We're going to move on to Act 3 from uh, Charpentier's opera, Medier. Uh, this track, Du du cocktail et de Roimo Sombre. And uh, again, I tried to translate this. It really, I couldn't get a translation that made much sense. Um, but in this one, uh, this is uh, an aria from from the opera and you know all these operas always have these big arias where the main characters sing these solo um songs you know they're they're usually reserved for big important uh moments in the uh you know in the story you know big pivotal moments this is the moment 
where if I if I'm right, I could be wrong here, um, but I think I'm right. I think this is the moment in Act Three where Medier is basically summoning using her magic to summon up these demons from the underworld. Um, so it's big, it's dramatic. You it, one cool thing about this that you, that must have been really unusual at the time musically is you had these big drums, the big bass drum sounds that go sort of like um, keep emerging, you know, from the musical texture, almost like this impending doom sound and thunder and lightning. Um, Yeah, even maybe even uh, sort of conveying, you know, her dark magic and evil. Uh, What did you think? Yeah, what did you think of this one? I, yeah, I, I agree with you. They, you know, the the atmosphere that's created, you know, helps you know, purvey the sense of, you know, all the dark elements that are about to come about. I suppose, and uh, you know, obviously, it's it's also a chance for the, you know, the the elements of the story that are, you know, obviously going to take it into a very nasty direction to to start, you know coming about and and I I, I I'm assuming that the uh, the lead soprano who, who plays uh, Medea and I, I can't remember her name uh, uh, Lorraine Hunt yeah this is like a chance for her to uh, sort of you know shine in, in what she's about and how how talented she is uh, where you you hear her voice and and that's one thing that I got to you know kind of sort of get into was you know how how talented she was you know or, or is I should say and um, yeah yeah that's yeah. pretty much what I, I mean I took from this I mean you know like you said the, the the different elements that are that are brought upon you know with all the you know the underlying percussion and, and how that's arranged and you know that that kind of stuff is pretty cool you know yeah yeah and, and, you know, one of the things that was a draw in the opera back then, um, apart from, you know, the singers and the music and all that stuff, was the machines that they would make uh, basically was like early, you know, the first special effects, you know, or, or CGI, where they would create these uh, big machines that would be, uh, you know, a lot of uh, the the machine part would be backstage and it would be this, you know, elaborate a system of cogs and wheels and pulleys and all this stuff to create these effects like, you know, dragons flying down from the ceiling and demons popping out of the stage with smoke and fire around them and all this stuff. Um, and that was one of the draws to go see these things. Like, you know, what kind of fantastical machinations have they come up with, you know, to uh, convey the story and, and all this stuff. Uh, And that's that's one thing you would have seen, you know, during this uh, during this opera, certainly during this scene and also in the end when she's flying away in her chariot with dragons. I mean, literally, uh, the actress would have been in a chariot with these dragons and they would have created this machine where she was flying, you know, suspended in the air and all this kind of stuff. Uh, um, so, which would have been really impressive at the time, you know. Um, yeah, special effects on a on a level that were obviously not of of today's sort of 
you know, enhancements. So Right. And, and with film and all that stuff, you, you're free to do so many things. But when you're watching something live in the theater, I think even seeing these things, these type of things now by a modern audience just live in real time in the theater would be impressive um, and, and cool and all that stuff. So, uh, But, yeah, let's check this out. This last track from Medier. This is Du du Cocte et de... Royamo Sombres. <laughs> <laughs> And we just heard the final track from Marc Antoine Charpentier's Medier, and we're going to move on to another completely different album, uh, Indian flutist Hariprasad Charasya, um, his album Raga Darbari Kannada, released in 1993. And, uh, you know, he has kind of an interesting past you know an interesting story i guess he was born in 1938 you know still alive very very influential classical indian musician um has opened several schools you know in the past 10 years and uh you know 
has the title Pandit, which means master. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, his father uh, was a wrestler and his mother died when he was young. So his father actually wanted him to go into wrestling and uh, he had to learn music in secret because his father didn't approve. Um, and when he got a little bit older, he went and uh, studied with Annapurna Devi. This is uh, she was the wife of Ravi Shankar and another huge uh, influential musician in uh, Indian classical music. And what I thought was interesting was uh, she would only teach him if he switched from playing his flute from right-handed to left-handed hmm. to show his commitment to studying with her and also so he would start with a completely blank slate and not be able to repeat um, you know, any technical flaws he might have already developed in his playing. Hmm. Um and that's a real commitment. I mean, that's, you know, asking someone like a guitar player like me or something like, okay, you can only study with me if you switch to playing left-handed. You know, I mean, Jeez, anybody I think would be like... Start from, from his very foundation all the way back. Exactly. To, wow. And then, he, I mean, most people would be like, you know, hell no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, but he did. He still plays left-handed to this day. Um, he's... Very, very successful. I mean, collaborated with many Western musicians, uh, including John McLaughlin and Shakti um, and Jan Garbarek, a lot of uh, jazz musicians, and even some classical musicians like Yehudi Menuhin is a violinist and Jean-Pierre Rampal, a flutist, you know, Western classical flutist. Um, what did you think of this music overall or, or anything? Overall, um I, I I love the style of improvisation that he brings to to this instrument. I, I guess it's like a bamboo a bamboo type flute um, that he plays. I mean, it just seems as if he could go on like for hours. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know? I'm sure they can, and I'm sure they have. And and, it, yeah. and it's, it doesn't get stale, and that's that's what I loved about uh, this recording. Um, really good um you know really refreshing um and uh almost uh like a, a music that you could just kind of sit and, and meditate with if you would um you know i i i was really glad to kind of you know see this included in the book it was something i was totally not familiar with at all and uh um, yeah you know just really really impressed with with the style um and with the sound of, of everything involved you know just uh just just really good music i mean you know and even though i don't really listen to indian music i mean i i, I like this a lot you know oh yeah i mean uh it's great stuff to just kind of chill out to and uh mellow out to i guess um you know, one thing that I love about this music is the tabla. That's the yeah. uh, the drums that are played by a Fazal Qureshi. Um, the first track we're going to listen to is a Raga Dambari Kannada. And, you know, there's three elements to this. There's the flute playing, which is, like you said, Mitch, largely improvisational. And uh, then you have a solid rhythm being laid down by the tabla. And then you have a drone being laid down by the tampura, which is, I guess, like a sitar-like instrument. Yeah, I, I was wondering about that. I didn't know if it was a if it was a sitar or 
or I've, I've heard what you, I think you just said the tambura. I wasn't really sure exactly, you know, what that was, uh, that sound. I, I knew it was, it was something like a sitar, you know, the way it sounded. Um, yeah. But yeah, all, all three elements that you, you mentioned, I mean, they, I guess they're kind of like common to most Indian music. And I mean, this is just one of those, you know, good mix of, of the three, you know, uh, where the flute is obviously, you know, at the forefront and, and really, really, really good, really pleasant to listen to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is basically like, um, kind of like jazz where the musicians start out with a basic template, you know, or blueprint for the music. And then they just improvise on that basis, you know, and they can go, like you said, uh, they can go for just, for just hours, you know, and some of these ragas, uh, if you see them live, some of them do go on for hours. Um, and, uh, yeah. So it's, you know, it's akin to jazz in that way. Uh, let's just check out this first track to see what, you know, it sounds like. Um, this is the first track from Hapris, uh, sorry, Hariprasad Charasia. This is Raga Dunbari Kannada. So we just heard Raga Dunbari Kannada, and we're going to move on to Dune in Raga Mishra Pilar, I think. Is that right? Yeah. 
Yeah, that that's that sounds good. It's pretty close. I, I mean, I, you're brave for trying to pronounce most of this stuff. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. Sure what that is. Um, so we have like a slow introduction here. Uh, no tabla. So like, uh, uh, you know, there's no driving rhythm here. It's a little freer sounding, kind of uh, floating. You know, like the the uh, flute just sort of floats above this uh, drone, you know, from the tampura. Mm-hmm. Um, the tabla eventually enters and, you know, produces this sort of medium tempo loping kind of rhythm. But uh, yeah, this is like a little slower uh, raga than the other one. Um, very sort of introspective sounding. Um, and I don't know. I I dug it. I mean, there's just, you know... Not much more to say about it, I don't think. Yeah, um, me, me too. I, 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 I dug it too. Just like I said, I this is one of those records I, I, I just can can see, uh, you know, meditation, relaxing, you know, type of mood being set by this entire record. Um, you know, just ride out to the country somewhere in the woods where there's nobody and you know, <laughs> lay back and, and put this on. And it's like, huh, you know, just taking off all the the heaviness and, and, and the things that, you know, this life can lay on you and, and have a record like this, you know, kind of help you make it through, so to speak. So, yeah, that doesn't sound too bad. Um, yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's check this out. This last track. Um, Dune in Raga Mishra Pilar. Thank you. 
And we just heard the last track from Hari Prasad Charasya. And we're going to move on to, again, something totally different. The Chemical Brothers, their album Dig Your Own Hole, released in 1997. And the Chemical Brothers consists of Tom Rollins and Ed Simmons. Uh, they're both from London, but uh, I think the band originated and sort of came up in Manchester, England uh, in the early 90s in electronics in a sort of electronica scene that would eventually include uh, bands like the Prodigy, Fatboy Slim, the Crystal Method, and Daft Punk, among others. Uh, but I think it was the Chemical Brothers that pioneered this big beat sound. Um, and you know, I really it was not familiar with this stuff. I mean, I'd never heard the Chemical Brothers before. Uh, this is my first exposure to them. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, I dug it. I like this album. Uh, what did you think of it? Um, yeah, this is, to me, uh, this is a landmark record as, as far as what electronic music, you know, was doing at the time and is doing now, where they basically took a variety of elements of music, some that, like, like, Hank Shockley from Public Enemies camp, you know, they would they would blend together in this weave that was almost unrecognizable from the original, you know, contents of where they they started. And I mean, it, at times it was just like this frenzy of, of tracks and sounds and, and heavy beats and and just craziness that, you know, I know on my first listen to them, you know, back in the day, I fell in love with immediately. Like in all those groups you mentioned, you know, you know, the Crystal Method and, and groups like Daft Punk and Prodigy. I mean, a lot of them were kind of, you know, coming along the same lines. But the Chemical Brothers had this this element about them where they, they took so much. I mean, you know, elements of rock and country and hip hop and jazz and, and just all kinds of things that weren't even music at all and and kind of took a a sort of you know industrial music hip-hop music jazz sort of mixed mentality along with electronic music and and made all that work together i mean some of the tracks are just so fast and furious it it reminds me of of like um if you remember like the Los Angeles Lakers in the Magic Johnson era, like that Showtime era, where, I mean, if you ever watched them, they had this this drive or this, this fast break offense where things would happen so quickly that the camera had a hard time keeping up with them coming up the court. I mean, Magic Johnson would take these balls and throw them sometimes without even looking at the person he was throwing them at. And they would know right where to be to catch that ball. And I mean, it was that crazy and, and fast and furious where you 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 had to like go back and look and like what just happened? And that's what that's what this record kind of reminds me of is is that there's so much going on in some of these songs and it's so quick and syncopated where you you have to go back sometimes and listen like what did i just hear right there <laughs> you know yeah and uh, yeah. 
you know, just lots of fun, especially if you like electronic music, big beat music, you know, music you would hear in dance clubs. I mean, this is just like a feast for the ears, you know. Definitely, man. Let's let's move on to the first track, Setting Sun, which features some uh, vocals from Noel Gallagher of uh, Oasis. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one thing I found fascinating about this music, and you kind of already um, started to talk about this already, but it, 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 from my own point of view, that it's such a different concept of music making than I'm used to. You know, I mean, basically just taking, it's like a collage of, you know, sampled bits from other tracks and electronic sounds that are manipulated digitally and backbeats spun in real time. And, and all of this is sort of cobbled together to form, you know, a cohesive and real musical instrument that's making real music. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just fascinating to me. It's just such a different way of thinking and making music. But, yeah. um, but uh, yeah, the, the setting sun, you know, I mean, I really... I really dug this track. Um, the Noel Gallagher vocals are—I don't know—I kind of icing on the cake, but I, I, I could have sort of taken or leaving, take taken or leave. Oh my God, what am I saying? I can't even talk. But I, I, you know what I'm trying to say, and I, I could take or leave those vocals. But um, I know Noel Gallagher from reading was a huge supporter of the Chemical Brothers early on, and in, in, you know, in their careers, and. Uh, well, yeah, what did you think of Setting Sun? Yeah, just an incredible song. I mean, I think it's one song because the, the the previous album that they had, the Exit Plant Dust, I believe, was, was the, the title. I, I was not a real big fan of that record. I mean, it was good, and I liked it, but but this record, as it came on, and then I heard Setting Sun, and also, too, the, the really important thing with this song is the video that accompanies this song. I mean, it's just as crazy and frantic and pieced together as the song is. And I mean, it, it has elements of what seems of a, a lady who who's had like sort of like a wild night of, of kind of reveling in the streets and partying who kind of, I mean, from my perspective, it looks like she wakes up in a park and is kind of still feeling the effects, so to speak, of the night before where she gets home and and is kind of relaxing and, 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 you know, taking it all in. And then suddenly something happens where it looks like a woman just like her in a red outfit shows up with really dilated eyes. And I'm assuming that maybe is like the after effect of something she was doing the night before showing up at her front door like another person, so to speak. And I mean, it, it's a crazy, crazy, weird video. And I mean, I love it because it, it's just perfect for this song and the way the song kind of breaks down in the middle where there's this loud, distorted sort of drone sound where it, it takes her back to the night before and all these weird elements of, of people with these jacked up eyes and, and police that especially in London where the police seem so somber at times and, and serious in the club with other people dancing like these crazy mad fools, you know, and I'm just like, what in the hell? <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, like you said, the, the vocal on this song, it, you know, it's not spectacular. It really doesn't sound anything like, like Oasis to me, 
but it, it kind of works, you know, in a sense to where I guess it allowed him to step out, Noel, that is, to step out away from something that was not Oasis and kind of do something, you know, different. And um, I, I mean, I, I love this song. I mean, it, it's it, it's really, really, to me, probably like the, I guess what you would call their, their signature tune almost, where it it's it's really what they're all about, sort of in in one one song. And I mean, they're a lot. They're about a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, their albums, you know, prior to this and you know after this are just all really really good to me. Uh, but this one song just stands out, you know, really as one of their best, if not their best song. So, yeah, yeah, man, let's check it out. Uh, this is Setting Sun by the Chemical Brothers. <laughs> Third setting sun by the Chemical Brothers. We're going to move on to our second track, Get Up On It Like This. And uh, this features, uh, I don't know what it is. I mean, that that's one thing that I kind of like about it. It almost sounds like a manipulated electric guitar sort of noodling and soloing around. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's an electric guitar. I don't know if it's a keyboard or something else i'm not sure and that's one thing i i i really dug about this album is there's so many sounds and timbres and you know things just popping out of here and there 
that are really new timbres, you know, new sounds. You're not really quite sure, you know, if it's a purely digital sound or if it was something real and it's been manipulated and changed. And, um, and yeah, I mean, this is one of the cool things I like about this album. I mean, there's constant surprises, like constant tonal surprises around every corner, you know? Um, what did you think of this song? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Just the, the, the deconstruction, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what what the hell is that I'm, that I'm hearing, and the construction of of what the Chemical Brothers do is part of the fun, where some things that that happen, you know, you you recognize right away, like like block rock and beats. If if you know of who Schooly D is, you know, old school rapper Schooly D, you hear that bar and you automatically, you know, are akin to what what they're leaning on. Cause you hear that vocal and it's like, Oh, I know that song, you know, but it's not that song. It's something totally different. And, and then some bass lines and, and, and some other tracks you may hear like a piece and you're like recognizing certain things. And, that, and that's why I'm saying like, where you go back and, and you're looking like, you know, what was that? that I just heard. I, I know that, but I'm not used to hearing it this way, you know? And again, that's, that's part of the fun. I mean, the, obviously, you know, the, the two guys in the Chemical Brothers are probably guys who have a, a record collection that's that's ridiculous. I mean, and I mean, when I say record, I mean literally like vinyl, where I bet they have an enormous collection of records, yeah. of actual wax that they that they own or they're, you know, kind of privy to and, and, and probably are constantly looking for the next, you know, sound to kind of pull out and manipulate and play with and, and, and go, okay, what can we do with this? I mean, I mean, what's, what's the next frontier, so to speak, and, and, and what we're about to do. And I mean, I'm sure that that's one of the things that, that keeps it fresh for them where they're, they're able to kind of go back and, and sort of pay homage to things that they love and, and like, but then also kind of come forward and, and play with things that are new and, and, and all the different, you know, toys and elements of electronic, you know, manipulation that are available. Um, and I mean, this one is just, this song, it, it, that beat in this song, I mean, it, it's so good. And then that little yeah. kind of bass signature that pops out and that that underlying track, I like you said, I don't know what that is. It, it just, like you said, it's it's just one of those things that you're like, man, what, what is that sound? What are, what are they, how did they get that? You know, right. Um, that's just one of the elements about, about their music. That's, that's so much fun. The, the trippy nature of it. Um, <laughs> that's you, you got two, <laughs> yeah. but, um, yeah, just the, the, the big beat sound comes through in this track, you know, in a big way, uh, very, very heavy, very, very frantic, Yeah, you know, very cool. Yeah, definitely. And and again, you know, this track, like all the other tracks, just one thing, I guess maybe I'm focused on this part of it, but one thing I think is so cool for me is this method of composition, of uh, writing music, you know, this sort of cutting and pasting and manipulating method mm-hmm. of writing music. I just think it's so cool. They they have yeah. a definite arrangement. I agree. And it's, it's nothing like... Like it just rolled the dice. No, it's it's precise what they're doing. Yes, and I mean it, it's all sequence. And like I said, it, at times it's really quick and really seemingly frantic, but it's very deliberate. They're they're not being you know accidental in what they do. And that that's one of the things, like you said, is it's so amazing 
that they're they're that precise on it. Like I said, like where you know someone can can seemingly know how to stop on a dime on a certain beat and 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 arrange it to make it work. You know, they they are very crisp in in their vision as far as how they produce. And um I, I really love, you know, the fact that they're they're kind of expanding on, you know, not on not only making records for themselves, but but soundtrack music as well, which uh, you know, one of the soundtracks that they worked on uh, was a movie called Hannah. If anybody's ever seen that movie where it's like a girl who was really young and, and basically raised from birth to be sort of like this super soldier. Uh, Chemical Brothers did, I, I believe, the soundtrack for that. It's it's really good. I mean, some of it is 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 like kind of weird and, and electronic and crazy like their music. And then some of it's very soft and quiet and, um, you know, good stuff as well. But, uh, you know, always look forward to to releases from the Chemical Brothers, no matter what they're doing. Uh, just a great, great, uh, you know, sort of. Let's check out this last pack of the Chemical Brothers. This is get up on it like this. up on it like this from the chemical brothers and we're going to move on to our last album for this episode clifton chenier his boogaloosa boogie from 1975 um and you know we're going to move on to this uh zydeco genre clifton chenier has been called uh the king of zydeco um deservedly so and uh you know this is a very different kind of dance band than the one we just heard um it combines, you know, Zydeco is like a, like French Cajun music and with blues and I don't know. I don't know, man. How would you describe Zydeco? I mean, just like someone who's never heard it. In in this sense, um, 
I would say Zydeco, especially with 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 Clifton, is is like a comparing it to a, like a food, like a Louisiana food, especially it would be like a gumbo where you have a, a mix in that food of all kinds of stuff, good stuff. Because when I listen to him, I, I hear that 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 sort of Zydeco or, or Cajun rooted like polka element, if you will, that's in a lot of Zydeco. But I also hear a real strong element of what I call boogie woogie type music. And when I say that, I mean, it's it's like an early style of what would be considered old rock and roll uh, with the kind of like one handed piano that, that Charles Brown used to play. I hear real big time boogie woogie in his music where it's it's all about, you know, kind of like good times and groove and 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 there's there's all kinds of elements in his music. I mean, it's not just Zydeco and, and Zydeco is at the heart. But I hear rock and roll. I hear soul. I hear blues. You know, I hear the the crooning style of, of music where it's it's some of it's almost like a ballad. I mean, he he's really good. I mean, he's like a powerhouse where not only does he have a, a great voice along with a great style of, of accordion playing that he has, but he has this amazing band on this record. And I mean, this is a record I never listened to until we started focusing on it in the book. And I, I'm really grateful to have heard it because it's, an, I mean, there is not a bad song on this record. Not one. And I mean, right. all of them are very, very solid from beginning to end, which is, that was something that surprised me a little bit because I, I wasn't real familiar with him. I mean, I was sort of, but but this record I had never heard and I, man, I'm, I'm very impressed. I mean, he, he has a, a very strong element of how to groove in a song. And that's the overall feeling that I took from him is that they, they just know how to jam and, and, and they can do it on all those levels I talked about where they, they have Zydeco, but they have blues. They even have some rock and roll type elements or, or, or boogie woogie type elements, which, which mix blues and, and kind of soul and, and rock and roll, you know, that all that is here, you know, and I, w- I would say that, uh, you know, he's, for lack of a better way of saying it, he's a Hall of Famer, you know, as in rock and roll yeah, Hall yeah. of Famer. He's that he's that good to me. You know, he's a very, very talented. I mean, I mean, was, you know, very, very talented musician, you know, very, very talented performer, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, and one of the things about this record that I thought was great, because Again, being from Houston and uh, going over to Louisiana many times, you know, I've heard Zydeco live a bunch of times. And uh, one thing that's hard to capture on a studio recording is that live feeling, you know, that mm. energy live. And uh, one of the things that I think is great about this album is that he was really able to capture that and how he was able to capture that in the studio was, uh, I thought was particularly cool. Basically, this whole album was recorded in one day and wow. uh, and Chenier basically he wouldn't he wouldn't allow the band to stop and he wouldn't allow the band to stop and like review tracks and listen to what they'd done he just made him mm. keep playing there was no second takes everything was a first take um, and it That's really unbelievable. yeah That's and, and it, it really captured that spontaneity and the feeling that you get live 
And it also shows just an amazing level of confidence on Chenier's part. You know what I mean? To, in himself yeah. and in his band to not want to go back. And that's almost antithetical to um, any musician's nature than when they go in the studio and not to just want to go back and like pour over what you've done and like get it all just right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's awesome. And I mean, it really, I mean, it paid off. You can hear it in this album, you know? Yeah. yeah again, like I said, I mean, the, the guy is, he is amazing. And I mean, it's, it's, this is one of those records. I don't own it, but after listening to it, I, I wanted it. I mean, I was just like, you know what? I need to have this, you know, it's not even like a, a good, a good enough element to be able to pull it up and just listen to it. However, you know, people do on the internet. This is one I want to have in my iPod. That's how good it, like when I, when I travel somewhere on the road or I'm on a plane, I would like to have this, you know, sort of in my pocket, you know, that that's how good this, I mean, a very, very solid record throughout. Yeah. You know, I'd like to have it. Oh, go ahead. ahead. I was just saying, I'd like to have it on vinyl. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, just an amazing, amazing effort uh, from, I, I guess, what you, like you said, the, the, the king of Zydeco. I mean, it shows big time where, you know, there, there's so many good sounds on this record. And like I said, the 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 elements, I mean, he had me because when I, I think of of what Zydeco is relative to everything else. I mean, it, it can pull from all sorts of music, but I think he he's so good that all those different elements that we talk about, they pull from him, you know? I mean, he, he's that good where he's he's an influence in itself, you know, uh, you know, for not just Zydeco artists, but anybody who plays, you know, you know, good music like, like rock or blues or soul or, or even maybe country, you know, I mean, He's that good. I mean, the, the way he sings, the way he his band plays, I would I would definitely feel like he's been an influence on, you know, more than just the Zydeco world. You know, yeah. he, he's yeah. he's an awesome performer. Definitely. Let's let's move on to the first track, um, Allons à Grand Coteau. And uh, really, I mean, this is what I think of when I think of Zydeco. I mean, uh this is like the quintessential Zydeco track for me. Um, it's, it's just full of that energy. I mean, you can just feel people, you know, in the crowd, you know, dancing and, yes, um, you can just see them on stage. You can feel that live energy, which is like, like I said, it's so hard to capture in a studio. And, uh, uh, yeah, I I just love this track, man. I think it's great. Me Um, too. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Yeah, man. Let's just, let's hear it. I think cool. it's, I think it, again this is one of those ones that, that just speaks for itself. So uh this is Alons à Grand Coteau. <laughs> Ah 
And we just heard Alon's A Grand Cateau of Clifton Chenier. And we're going to move on to Ma Mama Madit. Uh, and, you know, a lot of these tracks, you know, are uh, French. Well, well Cajun, Creole. Creole. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for someone that's never spent much time in Louisiana, you might think, well, it's just kind of a... These, these are songs from long ago, and they're doing them in Creole. I mean, one thing that people don't realize is this is still a living language. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Uh, one time I uh, went to visit a friend of mine that lives in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is, you know, southern Louisiana, not too far from New Orleans. And uh, we went down to this corner grocery that was near his house. There was an old guy, you know, working behind the counter who owned it. And I literally... He did not speak English. Mm-hmm. He spoke yeah. Creole. And then, you know, yeah. this is a guy born in the United States, lives in the United States. He does not speak English. <clears throat> he speaks Creole. Um, mm-hmm. So this is, you know, it's a living language, you know. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what do yeah, you think of this one? It's not going anywhere either. I tell yeah, me, trust yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I I agree with you. It's just, it's got elements of, of of Zydeco music that, you know, it, it gives you the impression that there are, there are a lot of places in Louisiana where you have you have swampland and and woods and and places where when you get there, it's so isolated and and so not affected by this world, so to speak, where where it seems like time in a lot of ways. Is, is standing still and the people go on with their lives like it's no big deal. You know, as a matter of fact, they would prefer it stay that way where the outside world does not change them or affect them in any way. And um, and that's all right with them. And 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 you get that sense where you you listen to tracks like this and, and, and hear the way, you know, it, it kind of has that 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 sound that, that makes you that lets you know, you know what's going on in that that part of the world. And like you said, I mean, I've been to Louisiana a few times, and I mean, there there are certain places where if you, you're not careful, you get really lost. You know? and, yeah, yeah. And um, and like you said, the the people there just look at you sideways, and they know you're not from there. You know, and um, but it's it's a it's just a whole different world. It's a whole different way of life, you know, the, the, the Cajun or, or Creole way of life. And, and, um, you know, a lot of people kind of have been in both worlds and some have never been anywhere outside of, of that element. You know, like you said, the, the guy that you walked in the store, you're talking to him, he just looks at you like, you know, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where, where are you from? I, I don't understand what you're saying, you know? So, but um, this, this this song, like every song on this record, I mean, it's it's just very good. I mean, just very tight and amazing to think that. I mean, I didn't know that that they had first of all done this record in one day. Um, that's very hard to believe. Um, but you know that I guess it's just a testament to the guys. His, his confidence and his talent, especially, like I said, his band. I mean, they, they're very good on this record. Very, very tight, very, very good band, you know, yeah, just yeah. 
great rhythm section. I, I mean, I, I love this record. I really do. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of his rhythm section, one of the things that I really like about this track is you can really hear the washboard mm. in this one. And it's probably most likely the guy playing with, uh, like, forks, you know, yeah. like dinner forks on, on, the, on the metal washboard. And you can really, really hear it in this track. Um, yeah, let's, let's check this one out. This last cool. one from uh, Clifton Chenier. This is Ma Mama Madit. just heard my mama madit of clifton uh sorry clifton chenier and that's going to do it for episode 37 of the 1000 recordings podcast if you want to send us an email you can send it to 1000 recordings podcast at gmail.com you can go to our website where we have links to all the albums that we've played and that you can go purchase at uh, 1000rp.blogspot.com you can check out our twitter feed at twitter.com slash 1000rp and you can join us on Facebook. Also, we would greatly appreciate it if you like the show. You would go to iTunes and not only subscribe to the podcast, but leave us a review and a rating. And uh, we usually read those reviews on the air. So uh, if you get a chance and get a second, go over to uh, the iTunes store and uh, leave us a review. And we would appreciate it. Um, as far as what we've got coming up next week, we are going to start with a jazz album uh, of a Don Cherry, Dewey Redmond, Charlie Hayden, and Ed Blackwell. That should be good. <clears throat> yeah. Then we're going to uh, continue with Vic Chestnut album, uh, a rock album that I'm, that I'm not familiar with at all. 
Yeah, same here. Uh, then we're going to move on to Chic. The uh, fun to, 70s fun band. Yeah, Chic. Oh, man. Uh, uh, let's see. Then uh, another album that um, I am pretty familiar with. I actually have it um, on vinyl. Uh, Chicago, uh, Chicago Transit Authority by Chicago. Yeah, that's a very good record too. Yep. And then uh, let's see how many albums is that? <laughs> it's one, two, it's three, four. four. Okay, so the fifth album is going to be the Chieftains. The album, the Chieftains Four, the uh, yep. huge uh, Celtic band, the Chieftains. Yeah, so, that's good uh, stuff too. Yeah, man. Next week should be uh, another cool show. Another really wide range of stuff. Um. Yeah. So, do you have anything else to uh, to add before we end this week? Uh, no. Um, just uh, I guess a couple of sides. Uh, just uh, rest in peace, a couple of people. Uh, yeah, uh, Sugarfoot yeah. from Ohio Players. Uh, you know, both vocalist, guitarist. You know, main vocalist, guitarist for Ohio Players passed away, and and then also uh, Donald Bird, uh, trumpeteer, jazz pioneer. Uh, kind of fused jazz and, and soul with with his, his his own music and the Blackbirds and uh, you know that was that was kind of hard that I, I started thinking about all kinds of stuff that that I had grown up doing and and remembering listening to his music so that was interesting uh, you know so that was kind of like a surprise I, I mean whenever anybody dies it surprised me right right um, you know I, I wasn't I wasn't really expecting how I was going to be feeling about that one. It was, but anyway, uh, rest in peace with both those guys. Uh, yep. You know, just think about their families and, and fans and whatnot. Right on. Cool. All right, man. Well, uh, that is going to do it for us this week. And we'll see everybody back next week for a bunch of more music. Hey, bye, everybody. Take care. <laughs>